Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and this is episode number 84. Joining me tonight is Joe. Jason is off for the night, so it'll just be the two of us. Joe, how are you holding up tonight? Uh, holding up. I'm just glad for an off day for the, for the Cubs tonight, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, they need an off day. Uh, it was a rough weekend, although at least you don't have to deal with uh, Jason rubbing it in your face on air this time. No, I think I'll do plenty of that myself, but I'm just glad that they're not here to pile it on, uh, Jason yeah. and Ronnie, that's for sure. Yeah, Ronnie pile it on. He's always good for that. <laughs> so, Joe, what are you drinking tonight? Well, in homage to the wonderful victors of this weekend, I'm drinking a nice ice-cold yingling lager. In the pecan. In the pecan. Right. Go Phils. In my... <laughs> And NBC Sports Philadelphia glass again. So cheers to you, Philadelphia, Jason and Ronnie. Congratulations on a good weekend. All right. And Joe, you know, the weather the last couple days, especially yesterday and today, really have me feeling like summer. So I'm pulling out my favorite summer beer, Wine and Kugel Summer Shandy. Can't go wrong with that one. It's a delicious beer. That's for yeah. sure. One of my favorites for the summer, especially like after you're out doing yard work, mowing the grass or whatever. That's a nice one to crack open. Mm-hmm. Or Rolling Rock. I don't like Rolling Rock any other time of the year, but like after it's a, after a hot day in the middle of the summer when you're out doing yard work, Rolling Rock for some reason just tastes really good. <laughs> don't ask me why. I know it makes no sense. All right, so let's roll into it tonight. So we finally got to see the uh, Red City Connect uniforms on the field last Friday. Um, you know, a couple questions you and I had last week. The biggest one, would the writing be legible, especially from distance? Absolutely not. Um, I, I saw a bunch of pictures on Twitter. I watched a little bit of the game, and yeah, you could – you know, close in, sure, you could see it, but depending on how they angled it, as you got out, it turned into a completely black uniform, except for the, uh, you know, the bright the bright red name on the back, or the red socks that were high cuffed. Um, the stripe on the pants, that I thought actually looked really good. Um, it popped really nicely, and again, you need to break up an all-black uniform set somehow. The cap C, it's fine, not my favorite. Uh, it was good effort for a new take on the old logo. Um, but I, I wasn't wild about it. Um, very few players went high cuffed. Um, the ones who did look much better than the ones who didn't. Cause again, that splash of red on the socks to break up all that black. Um, it's a, you know, this is something most people probably wouldn't care about, but as a turf guy, this drives me nuts. They painted the new C logo behind home plate, but they didn't bother to green paint the old reds logo that was previously there. So you could literally see the old logo underneath the new logo or, you know, cut the grass a little bit shorter to try and take more of the paint out or try something. They, they just literally slapped a new one over the old one. And it, it was a rather messy look. Um, and then, you know, the funny thing is, Joe, when we saw the press release pictures, all the players that had compression sleeves, they were all bright red. Nope, everybody had black compression sleeves on, which was also not a good look. Um, in the warm-ups, a f- few players were wearing the regular white pants, and the, I thought the uniform actually looked better like that because, again, it's breaking up the monotony of an all-black uniform set. And, you know, just imagine those white pants with that that uh, five thin striped line going down it. I think that would look really nice, even if they would want to integrate that as their regular pants instead of the current set. I think that would actually look okay. 
So, Joe, we've seen him in action now. What do you think? I can't say I still like them. I still still don't like them, really. Um, but, I mean, uh, you know, some of the – I didn't see the game, but some of the pictures you sent over, um, with the high cuff look, it looks okay. I, the uniform number is just – you can't read it. It's kind no. of kind of ridiculous um, to me there. Um I mean, as far as the grounds, the grounds there at a, at the stadium, the Reds are going to red. They're going to cut corners on the roster. They might as well cut corners on the grounds grounds budget too. So, yeah, maybe they didn't have green paint in the budget this year. Who knows? Maybe not. <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing, and I this was a picture I saw that I sent to the group chat. There, it was a high angle shot, like that somebody would have taken from the second level. And they were on the first base side and you had the umpire, a Reds batter, a Reds runner on third, and then the third base umpire. Now we knew who who was a player who was an umpire because we're baseball fans. Right. If you didn't know anything about baseball and were just there to see the game, you wouldn't be able to tell who was a player and who was an umpire because you can't see the Cincy word mark. You can't see the number on the back. And I, you can see the name on the back. That's great, but you can't see the number. So, I, yeah, yeah, these are going to stay down in the bottom, firmly in the bottom tier for me. Um, I, I I was really hoping I would, you know, see them on the field and be able to elevate them up a little bit, but that is not going to happen after that watching from me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, this is somewhere toward the bottom for me. I mean. I still don't like the Wrigleyville ones, so you know, yeah, that, that whole nonsense takes the cake there. But yeah, this is this is down on the list pretty far for me. I I still think Wrigleyville's better than this because I, although it's all blue, at least Wrigleyville, they tried to do something different. You know, they paid homage to the city, um, and I. Blue is one of your team colors. Black is not a team color for the Reds. Right. Yeah. That. That's. Yeah, I see your point there. Um, and and actually, it, you know, I, I saw a jersey at when I was at the barnstorming game a few weeks back. Somebody had a Wrigleyville Union on in the stands, and it didn't look too bad. Yeah. But uh, with the blue pants and all that, it sometimes it, it feels like things get lost in in the visual there. Yeah, I'm really hoping the Cubs eventually decide to just wear white pants with it, kind of like what the Dodgers and the Rockies have done, just to break up the mono look. It, it would be much better with white pants. And next time they do something like that, they should just, you know, contract with Joe from Obvious Shirts because he'll do a better job. Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Um, I They should just contract with Joe to do the entire uniform set for all 30 teams next time they decide to do a City Connect instead of using Nike because uh, these suck. Now, speaking of black uniforms, we had yet another all-black uniform released today by the Orioles. Good God. Now, at least in the case of the Orioles, though, black is one of their primary team colors. Yeah. Like that, at least that makes sense. Whether you like the uniform or not, it makes sense to do that. Unlike Cincinnati. So the cap, it's a script B. It's very similar to what, Bo, what Buck Showalter wanted the team to have when he was the manager. Um, it's a black cap. The B is white and the batting helmet matches the Jersey. It's a black top. 
The only piece of orange on this entire jersey is the swoosh. Um, Baltimore across the chest and white with dots and speckled. And the reason those are there, are, quote, the speckled details and imperfections represent the shared grit the Orioles and Baltimore community possesses as uh, Nike's storytelling gets more and more forced. Um, now, this is an interesting thing. The sleeve cuffs and the collar have a colorful interior lining to symbolize Baltimore's mosaic of neighborhoods and how it's more interesting on the inside than it may seem at the first glance to outsiders. Um, this looks really cool, but here's the problem. You can't see unless the sleeves are rolled up and the top button's unbuttoned so you can see part of the collar. Um, the B patch is on the arm, obviously not shown consistently, so Baltimore will have an advertising patch coming at some point this season, unfortunately. Um, the name on the back is orange. I'm sorry, there was a second orange element on the uh, uniform top. Um, the numbers white, very generic script. Um, the pants and the socks, all black. The City Connect socks have a pattern, have that mosaic pattern around the top of the cuff. Although, I, Joe, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't tell if that was the bottom of the pant leg or if that was the sock because they didn't show a good picture the whole way down. So it could be one or the other. Um, so, Joe, what do you think? What do you think of the uh, Orioles uniforms? I actually really like this one. I think it's a pretty clean look. Um, you know, the, the red from, from Cincinnati, it doesn't show up as well. The orange and the white's going to show up just fine. Mm. Um, I, I like the homage to the city. I like the, the, the lining in the sleeves and the, and the, the collar. I think that's, it's a nice, it's a nicely done product. I, I think it's a nice look and, and I'm excited to see what it looks like on the field. Yeah. This is definitely better as far as an all-black uniform goes than the Reds is, hands down. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. I wish they would have actually just put the mosaic just right here, right here, and been done with it so that it's there. Um, that way right. it's consistently shown. Because I think the mosaic actually looks really cool, and I'd like to see more of that. Um, now, I'm glad they didn't do something dumb like make the mosaic a stripe down the side of the pants. That would have been a little much. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish there was a little more orange. Um, I wish they would have maybe made Baltimore orange and maybe the number on the back orange as well. Um, or even just the B logo on the hat could have been orange. Uh, yeah, just to break up just the black and white just a little bit. Um, I th This is crazy. I'm, but I wonder how it would look with orange pants. You're, you're not. Okay. Just checking. Like, that, I, yeah, that's that not a good idea. Look. You know, I mean, that, that is the bird, though. You know, orange bottom, black top. Yeah. Wouldn't be the worst thing. No, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing. But if anything, I would prefer it the other way. Yeah, orange top, black pants. Orange yeah, top, I, yeah, I could see that. If you're going to um, do something like that. But it wasn't bad. I mean, I, I like the set a lot more than I like some of the other ones that have come out. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 definitely not the bottom bottom five, as it were, for me. No, definitely not. And again, it's because black is one of their primary colors. So it th this isn't a black for black sake out uniform. This is, hey, this is one of our colors. It's all black. Get over, you know, it's like, look at the NFL. When the Saints roll out an all black uniform, it makes sense. When the Eagles roll out their black uniforms, it makes no sense. And I'm still on record saying the Eagles should scrap all of the other greens and just go exclusively back to the Kelly green because that's a great look. You know, stuff like that. Or, you know, any of the crap the Oregon Ducks do in NCAA football. 
because none of that makes any sense either. Oh wait, Phil Knight. So yeah, this I I can't wait to see the Baltimore uniforms on the field. I I I'm really curious how the players are going to handle like the rolled sleeves and whatnot to uh, show off as much of that mosaic as they can. Um, I, I think it, you know, what's going to be nice to Joe, we're going to be able to see the name of the city and we're going to be able to see the name of the player and their number. Yeah. On the uniform. What a, what an astounding idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't nice, but it's true. All right. So rolling ahead, uh, the father's day caps got leaked um, from hatland.com. Unlike the mother's day caps, they're not going to change cap colors this time. Thank God. They'll either feature the logo in light blue, which we saw with the Yankees cap, or a light blue outline around the regular logo, which is what they showed with the Braves and the Dodgers. And those were the only three caps Hatland showed today. Also on the right side of the cap, there's going to be a light blue patch as well with the uh, team's uh, secondary logo on it. So, uh, Joe, these definitely look a thousand times better than the Mother's Day hats. I actually kind of wish that MLB would just do this from here on out for the Father's Day and Mother's Day caps. We leave the colored like normal and then just shade the logo. Yeah, it just makes sense. And and they must have been, uh, they must have listened last week because I, I kind of went off on the, on the look for the Mother's Day hats. I just wish it would not be such a drastic swap. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the uniform it looked the best with last week was was the um, the Nationals yeah, because of that that City Connect uni, yeah. Um, which which I just I absolutely love that hat or that uniform for Nationals. I love that uniform. Yeah, that's definitely one of the top five, top ten City Connect uniforms, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I like I like I said, I like that they kind of left left the hat alone and and, and added the blue lining and the blue and the patch there on the side. And, and I think um, it, it's definitely a cleaner look mm -hmm. and, and you're staying with, you know, the team's regular hat, which is a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, so I, I think that's a nice look and I hope they, they continue to stay with it going forward. Yeah, me too. I And I hope, they, again, I hope they do that with the Mother's Day caps too. And let's face it, these look a gazillion times better than those god-awful armed forces green hats that all the teams were forced to wear this past weekend. That looked like straight trash and matched basically no uniforms at all. And the thing that really drove me nuts about that, Joe, is Armed Forces Day was Saturday. So wear the caps for one damn day and then let the teams not have these hideous-looking hats on their heads. I mean, it, it, it would work for the Padres with their two gazillion camo options. Yeah. Probably work for the Rockies when they're city connect, but really nobody else. Yeah. I'm sure what the, what the, the teams probably do with these the weekends is they probably have, you know, patriotic get of some sort themed into every single game of the series. So, I mean, I don't have necessarily a beef with the whole series um, doing it. Um, I, I see your point about it being just the day, um, but I, I don't necessarily have beef with that issue. Um, well, my thing is they Mother's Day and Father's Day, they just do it the one day. They don't do it the whole weekend series. So right. let's either do it all for the one series or do it all for the one day. Like make it consistent. Fair point, yeah. Um, although, yeah, I really have never liked any of the armed services day caps they've ever put out. So, yeah, 
That's fair. All right, so let's roll into fantasy baseball from week seven. And it was a great week for me and Jason. Sorry, Joe. Uh, I finally got back into my winning ways again after giving up Ronnie's first win of the year last week. Um, I took I took you down, Joe, 17 to 9, and Jason took Ronnie down also by a 17 to 9 score. So unfortunately, I was not able to gain anything back on Jason like I was hoping to. Um, looking at the overall, Jason still leads at 111.68.17. I moved up to second, 87.91 and 18 at 23 and a half back. You have just one more loss and one fewer tie, so that's how I jumped ahead of you. You're at 87.92 and 17.24 back. And Ronnie's at 72.106 and 18 at 38 and a half games back. So, Joe, all I'm going to say is this. All, all rise for the great Aaron Judge because Aaron Judge – powered my lineup this past week along with ronald acuna jr and his uh four straight games with a home run um yeah you weren't catching that power output <laughs> it's hard to compete with with an, a loaded offense like yours last week and and um and my pitching, pitching finally showed up yeah pitching in general just didn't go my way last week so i got i you know i think i've i don't know if this is i'd have to look at all the other weeks but i feel like i the hold category is a category I regularly win, and I did win that one, so I keep that. You did. Five. Um, you beat me two to nothing because I haven't bothered to pick up a setup or a regular relief man once this year, and I'm probably not going going to start doing it now. <laughs> but yeah. I'm also running four closers, so if you need a closer, offer me a trade. <laughs> we'll see. Um, you know, Robertson is is, is continuing to be a, 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 solid, a solid point getter for me from the pitching side of it. Um, yeah, and you've got class A too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're um, fine. And, and, and Bautista from from Baltimore. Oh, I forgot you grabbed him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you don't need a closer. And then I also grabbed uh, Cano from Baltimore too, um, who's been really good. He gave up his first run this week, unfortunately, right after I picked him up. Um, <laughs> I, I'm having a ton of luck with that. You know, I, I dropped Dylan Cease, and he had a great game the next time out. And the offense actually showed up for him. Um, I, I got rid of Schwarber, and he's started to be somewhat productive um, the last couple of weeks. You know the crazy thing about Schwarber? I was looking at. I was like, I might put in a claim because he's going to heat up. At some, but then I've got five outfielders already on my roster. Like my utility. Like I run five outfielders every day. I don't use my utility for anything but the outfielders, except on off days. I was like, yeah, no. And I didn't have anybody I cared to drop enough to pick him up anyway. But because he's definitely not better than any of the five outfielders I'm running with right now. No. Yeah. And it was, like I said, like you said, it was kind of a rough week for me that the guys just didn't really show up that needed to. Um, yeah. That's fantasy. More on that later with some of those guys, um, and, you know, as we move forward. But yeah. Not not the best week for me on fantasy. Hopefully this week goes a little better and, and we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. All right. So Joe, who needs to read the room this week? <laughs> uh, you know what? Every team who plays the Cubs needs to needs to like back <laughs> off a little bit here because I'm, I'm getting a little frustrated. I, I went to bat for Zach and Cardinal fans, and the Cardinals finally started playing well. So you're welcome. Um <laughs> We went to Philly this week, and you know we'll get more more on this later. But 
you know, like this, we seem to be the get right team and, and that's just something that's got to change. Um, but the other thing I would say is this pitch clock stuff, we've got to get this figured out. There were, there was a, a violation over the weekend and a guy got tossed. Um, he wasn't ready in the box yet. The hitter wasn't, I don't think, but, the, and the pitcher was not even on the rubber. Like we've got to have some sort of consistency with this. If the pitcher's not on the rubber, then the clock shouldn't be running. I mean, it's, it's, it, it leads to some confusion, and that's sort of what happened was the batter was like, well, he's not on the rubber, so what do I have to be ready for? Um, you know, there's got to be some sort of process here that, that fine-tunes this rule because this is just something that, that's happening more regularly now. There's been a lot more of these sort of situations where there's a pitch clock violation, and it's like, well, the pitcher's not on the rubber, but I still have to be in the, in the box at eight. Like, that doesn't – those two things don't match up. So, it, and it was uh, Jesse Winker. Yeah. And Ryan Thompson was the pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, they, we wanted to speed up the hitters. And I totally understand the, the initial emphasis for having this. So you didn't have guys like, you know, pulling a Nomar and, and unswitching everything and grabbing everything and messing around, taking their time, um, getting in. But we have to kind of regulate both folks here because the batter is kind of taking his cues from the pitcher and the pitcher needs to to play along with it. Um, well, you know, I looked at, you know, I watched the video. He was down behind the painted logo on the back of the mound. Like he was at the very bottom back edge of the mound, even still at eight seconds. And Winker did run into the box. I mean, he wasn't fully set, but he was looking at the pitcher. And I think that should have been close enough that you don't call the violation on the hitter for that. Well, and again, regardless of where he's at, the fact that the pitcher is not even on the mound at this point. Yeah. Is, 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 is if we're going to give this violation to hitters, then we need to, in that situation, you got to give the violation to the pitcher because he's not, you know, he, he's delaying the game unnecessarily by, because mm. of creating the confusion there. Um, you know, I just think it's it's a bit of a mess. And the other the other part that MLB needs to figure out and sort of the read-the-room argument here is they sent another guy in, I think it was another – I think it was another Yankee this week. Mm. They sent him in a dugout to rinse his hands off. And it's like if his hands are sticky now – there needs to be a, a clear cut standard. If your hands are sticky, screw you. You're kicked out. Instead I of letting these guys wash stuff off and come back out. It doesn't seem like they still have this figured out and they don't have it consistent as far as, as far as that goes. And it's just kind of leaving a lot of, of room for people to be like, well, wait a minute. Like this is two Yankees in a row. I mean, obviously I know German got hit the, the second time, but you know, this is Yankees players are getting to go and wash stuff off. So I think what happened um, from, from what I read in the post game comments, it what it was stuff that, that had traveled from his hand into his glove, got on that, like, you know, the foamy, the foamy hairy stuff and kind of leaked back out. And it was on the non-dominant hand. I think that's why they didn't go to the ejection because they could see he didn't do it deliberately. It was just sweat running and coming back. Right. Which again, it's still, 
if we're going to call it, are we going to call it or are we not going to call it? Yeah. I mean, these are the same people who, who wanted to toss Zach Eflin for a wedding ring. Yeah. Which like, is garbage. pick something here, make this consistent. So it's not something that we're not really sure how this is going to be ruled on in a, in a big spot, because the minute this happens in a big spot and you let a guy rinse, rinse his arms off or, you know, or don't like, that's going to be an issue. You're going to be the story. So we need to figure this out. You know, I go back to what the three of us came up with two years ago when they started this crackdown on sticky stuff. And um, we said, all right, let's get a bunch of pitchers. Let's get a bunch of trainers. Let's, you know, let's get a whole group of people together, figure out what we're going to use as um, the the one and only option for the for the pitchers to use to help with grip throughout the year, and then that's going to be it. If it's anything else, you're gone. Right. Why haven't we done something like that? Like, what well, you know, you've got the two rosin bags. You have the sandier rosin. You've got the rock rosin. Like, why are we? You know, and then you have the issue. Does if you use too much of one, not enough of the other, it's not the right mix. You know, it's going to get extra tacky. What's too tacky? Uh, let's let's pick one thing. Let's come to a consensus. Make it the one thing and be done with it. And then when you go check pitchers' hands, if it's anything but that one thing, makes it easy. Bing, bang, boom. Throw the guy out. Yeah. No, let's wash it off and get maybe give a guy an unfair extra chance. No, wash, you know, if it's there, it's there and be done. Right. Well, like, even, like I said, these guys just can't seem to just pick a standard and go with it, like you said. And it's like, you know, if you're going to let a guy wash off his arm, but you're going to make a guy take a, his wedding ring off of his glove hand. His a silicone wedding wedding ring, not even the metal one. Silicone. I, mean, I don't. I don't care whether it's silicone or metal or or, you know, whatever. Like the fact that you we went through all this trouble with Zach Eflin for a silicone wedding ring on his glove hand, and we're not really quick and easy on on the pitcher side of this, you know, with when it comes to actual substances on their on their hand. Like this is getting ridiculous. To, uh, the only thing I could say to the ring is if it is a metal ring, especially with some kind of stone, it does give the pitcher the opportunity to create unnatural scratches on the ball to make the ball break unnaturally. I can understand that. But that was silicone. You're, you're not scratching a baseball with a silicone ring that is stretchy, which you could clearly see in pictures of him taking it off how far it was stretching. Metal ain't going to stretch like that. That was clearly silicone. Yeah, And it was on his, let's remember too, the ring was on his glove hand. So to even manipulate the ball, he would have to take his glove off, rub the ball with the ring, stick his glove back on, which good luck doing that, not getting caught Yeah, normally. And then you had the pitch clock to speed things up. Give me a break. <laughs> it's not Yeah, yeah. The, the, the rules committee has got to read the room and get this straightened out so that when we watch a game, we know exactly what's going to happen. That would be nice. All right. So rolling, rolling along here. It was a good week for Atlanta last week. It's a rough previous week, but they turned it around. They uh, took two out of three from the Rangers. 
they won game one, 12, nothing. Morton picked up the win. They lost game two, seven to four. Schuster took the loss there. And then game three, they turned around to win that one on the road, six to five. Anderson picked up the win and Iglesias got his second save. So after getting swept in Toronto to take two out of three from the Rangers on the road, that, that felt really good. And also throughout those three games and then uh, one game in the uh, Seattle series, Acuna was on a tear, four homers in four, might've been five or six in four days, but anyway, a homer in four straight games. And then the weekend cap, they came back to Atlanta. They've got Seattle. Um, they won Friday night, six to two. Colin McHugh picked up the win out of the bullpen. They lost Saturday night, seven to three. Uh, Tonkin took the loss in that one. And then Schuster picks up his first win of the season with some absolutely brilliant pitching, beating Kirby, who is also having a great year. Um, it was a three to two victory for the Braves, and uh, Iglesias picked up his third save of the year in that one. Um, so, you know, rough start, you know, with how last week ended, but they really pulled that through quite nicely, especially picking up that road series in Texas because Texas is a damn good team this year. Um, and, you know, I want to take a little bit here and talk about Acuna because he's on an absolute tear right now, uh, potentially historic. Uh, his rates he's hitting at right now are just ridiculous. Joe, here are the categories where he's either leading or has a share of the NL or MLB lead. Now, this is entering Saturday's games. I didn't update it with yesterday's games. Um, 43 runs scored leading MLB. 61 hits leading MLB. 18 stolen bases leading the National League. He's on pace for 65, which would be the most since Juan Pierre swiped 68 for the White Sox in 2010. 2010! Um, his OPS, 1.042, which leads the National League. OPS plus 179 leads the National League. 107 total bases. That's first in baseball. And a 3.1 war using baseball references method that leads baseball as well. Um, people are making comparisons of this season to Ricky and Willie because they were the only players who led their league in both stolen base and OPS in the same season since integration. That's per Elias Sports Bureau. Ricky did it bat in the AL in 1990. Willie Mays did it twice for the National League in 57 and 58, which is nuts. Um, he's also in pursuit of the first 40-40 season since Alfonso Soriano did that in 2006. And let's remember, he almost had it in 19 when he had 41 homers and 37 stolen bases. Joe, he's on pace for 40-65 right now. Now, if he manages to win both the NL home run crown and stolen base crown, he would be the first to do so since Chuck Klein of the 1932 Phillies, who batted 423, 464, 799. Now, he was also playing in the Baker Bowl, which is one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in baseball history. And, you know, he also did that with only 20 stolen bases. So, it, it, obviously, a very different game now. Um, his first innings have been ridiculous. He leads baseball and hits in the first inning with 22. He leads with seven doubles. He has scored 15 runs, also leading baseball. He has a 524 batting average in the first inning, best in baseball. And his OPS in the first inning is 1.398. That's second in baseball. Uh, you have to have 20 plate appearances for that. He's on pace to break several first inning statistics. 
His pace for hits is 77. The MLB record's Lefty O'Doul, who had 64 in 1929. The Braves' record is uh, Chipper and Marquise Grissom. They both had 49. Chipper did it in 98. Grissom did it in 96. His doubles pace is 24. The baseball record is shared by Craig Biggio and David Wright. Uh, Biggio did it in 04. Wright did it in 2012. Braves' record is held by Freddie Freeman and Marcus Giles. Boy, there's a name I haven't said in years. One of my favorite second basemen growing up. Um, they both had 14. Giles did it in 03, and Freeman did it in 14. 14, 14. Nice, Freddie. Very nice. Um, he's on pace for 52 runs scored in the first inning. The baseball record is set by Lenny Dykstra and, uh, of course, Ricky Henderson. They both had 43. Ricky did it in 85. Lenny did it in 93. Chipper holds that Braves record with 33 and 99. Um, the record for batting average in the first. Lefty Grove has that, 508 in 1929. Uh, the Braves record is actually held by Rogers Hornsby back in 1928. He hit 411. Not bad. And the OPS record, not shockingly, Babe Ruth holds the all-time record for the first inning OPS, 1.607 in 1920. <laughs> not bad. And then the Braves record's held by Eddie Matthews. He went uh, 1.249 in 1955. Good company to be in. So, you know, Joe, do you think Acuna is going to be able to stay healthy and avoid enough prolonged slumps to join these legendary Hall of Fame figures in baseball history? Um, I mean, it's certainly possible. Uh, he has had, I think, I don't, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think he's had a history of some minor hiccups here and there outside of the ACL. Um, mm. So, I, I mean, that, that's not, that doesn't bode well for him, but it's not to say it's not possible. Yeah, he's had some strains. He's had some pulls in his hammy before. Um, and he's had some time missed from the beanball war that the Marlins started because they got pissed off at him jacking home runs against their crappy pitching, which that sounds more like a Don Mattingly problem than it does a Ronald Acuna problem, personally. Pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible, and he's certainly on on fire. I mean, it's, it's insane what he's been able to do. Um, a big reason that the Braves are where they are, obviously, with all yeah, the yeah. injuries they've had in the pitching staff. Um, you know, Acuna has been that stalwart for them, that steady, that steady uh, presence. So um, I, it's nice to see him having this kind of success, whether he can, you know, main, maintain it and stay healthy. It's, it's certainly possible, but we'll see. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I th This is such a nice redemption story for a guy that, you know, he was back last year, but he wasn't back. You could you could tell all year he was still trying to get over that ACL. You know they had to give him extra off days because he was just in so much pain trying to run in the outfield. Um, you could tell he's fully recovered. The ACL is no longer an issue, um, and his power's back. Like it, it, he started a little slow power wise. He only had three home runs in the first twenty one games, but he's picked it right back up since then. And when he's been hitting home runs this year, he's been hitting home runs like they're going 430 yeah. 450 plus yeah they're not they're not cheapies that's for sure yeah um, you know and i think like you said there was a little bit of of the recovery hangover last year you could see it a little bit um yeah the, he looks 100 ready to go now that's it it's just awesome to see that 
I hope he's able to keep it up because one, I, it's been too long since the Braves have had an MVP winner. And I know we had one really not all that long ago, but it's been too long. <laughs> and two, since it appears it's not going to be Austin Riley anytime soon, damn it, it might as well be Acuna. You know, you know the funny thing is um, Matt Olson was interviewed early earlier this year and he said, the best part about hitting behind Ronnie is he's on base almost every time I come up to bat. It makes it so much easier to get RBIs. <laughs> well, it, it's a lot easier to have those opportunities if they can't pitch around you. Yeah, and they're terrified of Acuna on the base paths because he is running at will right now and very successfully. too. I, he's been caught a couple times, but not many. And with the rules limiting the number of pickoffs plus the bigger bags, yeah. it's, I mean, we knew we knew stolen bases were going to go way up this year. And I don't, I don't know, know that. I mean, we knew they were going to go up. I don't know that we anticipated just how much they would go up this early. Um, Speaking of stolen bases, uh, uh, paging Trey Turner, my first round draft pick in fantasy baseball this year. What the hell, dude? That was one of the big reasons I picked you up was I was expecting you were going to run. Got to get on base to run. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> you know, now that I say that, he's probably going to freaking go off when the Braves and Phillies play this weekend, isn't he? Probably. Okay. Shouldn't have said anything. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, me and my big mouth. All right. So, yeah, I, you know, that's – I want to wax a little bit of the uh, poetics because I've, I've been kind of dropping hints here and there as we've been going this year, but I finally got a chance to sit down. Um, I read an article Mark Bowman wrote the Braves beat report for MLB.com and uh, holy crap. I knew he was obliterating the first inning, but I didn't realize just how much he was obliterating the first inning. So yeah, let's hey, let's hope it keeps rolling. I'd love to see Ronnie pulling some more hardware this year. All right, Joe. So what do you have this week for? Bring out the good. Yeah, uh, story on Harold Ramirez from the Tampa Bay Rays um, that you brought my attention to. Uh, uh, Harold Ramirez, his his son who is now six, um, was diagnosed with uh, on the on the autism spectrum when he was two, um, and wasn't very verbal at that point. Um, Ramirez has been sort of a journeyman. He's kind of moved around a good bit. Um, he's since settled now in Tampa, I think the last year or so. Um, he has, he has taken to dyeing his hair blue, um, as a way of bringing awareness to autism and autism research, uh, in honor of his son. Um, and it's really nice to see, we talk about these all the time, but to see these guys on a personal level, sort of engaging and trying to use their platform for good. Um, you know, so he's, he's doing that. There's some other guys who have joined in on that. The Rays, I think have done some merch to, uh, to give out to fans related to it, um, which is really nice to see. Um, you know, so it's, it's just, again, we, we talk about, we, sometimes we forget these guys are human and they have their own stuff going on. Um, and it's really nice to, um, honor his son and, and raise some awareness for those who um, have children who are on the spectrum or who are on the spectrum themselves and, and sort of know that they have a voice. Uh, it's it's really nice to see guys do this. So hat tip to uh, Harold Ramirez. Absolutely. And I love the blue hair. That 
that is just the coolest thing to do to as a public way to support your son, especially when you have the platform with which to do so. Just awesome. Yep. All right, and then I'm going to cover for Jason this week for Down on the Farm, and I only picked one player this week because he had such an unbelievable game. And this is just I, – I didn't even pull up his weekly stats. We're just going to look at one game. Our player this week is Colt Keith. He is the number 87 overall prospect in MLB's top 100 and the Tigers' number two prospect. He plays for their AA affiliate, the Erie Seawolves. Last Tuesday, he was playing against our local Harrisburg Senators and one of the greatest offensive nights you're ever going to see. He smashed two home runs in four innings and completed the cycle in seven frames before hitting one more single in the eighth inning just for good measure. As hitting for the cycle on a six-hit night with two home runs has never been accomplished by a major league player before, and only four players have posted a cycle on a six-hit night, the most recent which Christian Yellick for the Brewers, that was uh, August 29th of 18. Uh, Mr. Keith had seven RBIs for the game and scored three three runs. The Seawolves absolutely obliterated our local Harrisburg Senators by the uh, very lopsided score of 18 to four. <laughs> How about that? And he had they batted around in the first inning, and he had he knocked out a home run and a triple in the first inning. That's not a bad way to get things started. No, it certainly takes the hardest ones off the table. That's for sure. Well, you know that's 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 a hard ballpark to leg a triple out if you don't have good jets. Just that's not a super deep outfield, and it's not that angular that you're going to get those weird ricochets that will let that happen. That's that's so, got to be something that was like a seeing eye line drive over the guy's head and just. Rolled yeah, or, slowly into the corner or something. Yeah, or he dove for it and missed, and it was far enough away that the center field wasn't immediately there to back him up, something like that. Yeah, yeah so uh, congratulations to uh, Colt Keith. That's that's an absolutely ridiculous game. <laughs> All right, Joe, do you want to uh, rip the Band-Aid off quick? Yeah, let's do this. Um, we did talk about the Cubs a little bit last week uh, on our Wednesday show. Um, they ended up getting swept by the Astros. Um, they lost Game One six to four on Monday. Uh, that was the four run inning in the in the first. Uh, they, the, they had Christopher Morrell in left field, a place he's never played really much, and in a ballpark he's never played in. And it led to a couple of, like they they hit every every hitter that scored runs in that inning, hit it over his head or to him. Um, you know, so one, the double, there was a double that missed and it was two runs scored there. And then another one scored after that. And then another one, it was just, it was just a mess. Uh, the man helps himself out though. Morrell comes up and takes a, you know, a three run homer to tie the game. At one point it was four to four. Um, and Hector Neres gets the save in this one, um, which, just tells you how great a day this was. Uh, Jamison Tyone, who the Cubs picked up in the offseason, we'll get to more about him in a minute, but four and two-thirds, seven hits, four runs, and a walk. Um, didn't get off to a great start, and uh, fortunate for him, Morel came back and took the loss off his chest. But, um, you know, it's just it's just demoralizing. They lose seven to three on Tuesday. Uh, Mervis had his first career homer. Saya had a homer. Um Justin Steele pitched 
okay. Gave up five runs. Wasn't his best outing. Uh, but only had one walk and eight strikeouts and five hits. So five hits, five runs, six innings. The guy continues to work his butt off for you. Um, it's a shame that the rest of the offense just can't seem to figure it out. Um, and then game three was a seven to six loss. As we ended our recording last week, they were up six to one. Then it was six to three after eight, and then they blew the game in the ninth. Um, Saya had two homers in this game. Smiley, great start, was wasted. Six innings, four hits, one run. The guy continues to just pitch lights out this year uh, for them. Uh, Lighter Jr. went in inning. Um, three hits, two runs, three strikeouts. Um, and Keegan didn't record an out. It was two hits, three runs, and a walk. Um, Keegan has since been optioned down to to Triple A, um, but he, he has really just not had a good a good start to the year. His his walk rate is up again, and he's just not doesn't seem comfortable uh, to put it mildly. So we get swept by Houston, um, and then we go to Philly for the weekend. Um, Thought about buying tickets. I'm glad I didn't. Um, the Cubs lose this series two games to one. They win big on Friday night, uh, 10 to one. Stroman on the bump for this one. Six innings, three hits, a run, two walks, four strikeouts. Ranger Suarez got rocked pretty good here in this one. He only went two innings, five hits, four runs, three walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, Nico made his his debut off of the IL. Um and had two two-run doubles, so helped his own cause out very well. Um, but and then you know they they obviously did just did enough in this game for sure. Um, and then game two, uh, 12-3 loss. Uh, Nola's on the bump for for Philly. Seven innings, four hits, two runs, a walk, and ten strikeouts. Uh, the game started off with a Kyle Schwarber, either however you want to say it, a Schwarber salami or a you know, Grand Schwarbaum, however we want to call this. But, um, yeah, absolutely destroyed the ball. And guess who was on the mound for this one? Jamison Tyone. Two and a third, six hits, eight runs, six of them earned, three walks, a strikeout, and two homers. Uh, yeah, the offense didn't show up, and, and Tyone has just not been good this year. Um, he was hurt at one point. And instead of sending him through a regular rehab uh, stint, they brought him straight back, which I think clearly he needs some work. Um, yeah, so not not a good you know game two Saturday, and then game three, a two one loss. Uh, Bryson Stott hits a, hits a pinch hit, two run homer, and that makes the difference in this ball game. Uh, Christopher Morrell hits a homer in this one, so he helps himself out too. Um, Steel. Pitches really well. Six innings, four hits, no runs, a walk, six strikeouts. Azalei gave up the homer to to, to Stott. Um, Taiwan Walker pitched really well in this game. Five and a third, two hits, no runs, three walks, and three strikeouts. Um, again, the, the Cubs just continue not to show up offensively lately. Uh, they are two and ten in one run games this year. It's it's just not going to get it done. Um, I mean, the best news out of the week was on Friday when they DFA'd uh, Eric Hosmer finally. It took him long enough to do that. Um, Bellinger's on the IL. Keegan's in AAA. Um, and, and Nico's obviously back. So um, things have been a little rough, obviously, with sort of figuring that all out. Um, 
you know, and, and, and Hendricks is due back any day now. He pitched last night, I think, um, in Iowa and pitched pretty well. I think six, six innings in like one hit, no run, something like that. So he's pitching pretty good now. And he's topping 90, which he doesn't usually do. Um, so he, he seems to look good. He seems to feel good. And he's due back any time. So uh, I expect he'll be back sometime this weekend, um, if not before then. Um, so it would be nice to have him back. Um, but you, you have a ton of question marks here. Tyone has just not been effective at all. Um, they're tweaking some things with him, and maybe they just need to leave him alone and let him cook and let him throw. Um, you, you know, the biggest issue here is, like, you want to put some of the blame, and I have in the past, on on Rossi, obviously. I've also put blame on, on Jed Hoyer and Hawkins in, in the front office. Um, this is all on Rossi. Like, if you're going to spend – if we're going to spend the money on some of these guys, now I get it. Bellinger's hurt. And you have some other guys who are kind of up in the air. The Barnhart experience experiment hasn't worked out. He needs to either figure it out or get chipped out, one of the two, um, because he's just not hitting. And, and, and you can't, you know, the, the, the top five or six guys in this lineup are too good for the bottom three to suck it up like this. Um, it's just been awful for the Cubs offensively in the bottom part of the lineup. So, They've got to figure some stuff out. This is squarely on Ross trying to manage things and not doing it properly. Um, as I said before, I, th- I love him as a human being. I think he's a great baseball man. I think that he's a great player development guy. But the in-game decisions just aren't going his way right now. Um, and they're not having the success they need to have in those one-run games. It's just you, you can't – you're going to be in those close games. You need to have some things figured out with, with your pitching to make that – be on the right side of those more often. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, talk, you know, you want to talk about questionable managerial decisions. Why do you put a guy who's never played left field in left field in Minute Maid Park, which is the quirkiest left field in baseball? Yeah, I think it's quirkier than Fenway because of the way the state the stands jut out and then cut right back. Yeah. I, I, I mean, mean, at least at least the hill in center field's gone. That was an injury yeah. waiting to happen. Yeah, I mean, the thing, too, with that is, is like, Hap was still in the lineup. So Hap wasn't hurt. He was just de-aging. But Morrell's not the guy for that. Yeah. You've got to put, you know, somebody who, who's played more outfield, more left field than nine innings um, in left field and in a ballpark he's never played in. That's just yeah. not smart. Um you know, and and the fact that you know Morel has been on a tear, which I know you'll get to, but he's in eight of his eleven games, he's hit a homer. In nine straight games, he's either got he's gotten at least one hit and scored at least one run. The performance you're getting out of him, the performance you're getting out of Saya, um, you know, this past week, the performance you're getting out of Nico Horner this year. Those, those guys and Justin Steele and, and Stroman, for the most part, are playing too damn well for us to be this bad. It, it's just garbage. It's unacceptable. And and with the way the Cardinals were playing, and now with the Cardinals have overtaken us in the division, and we're back to second to last just above the Reds. Um, this team is, was playing too dang good in April to be this down now. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um... 
I, I, nothing I could say even better than that. You nailed it. All right. So, uh, let's hop along here, Joe. Um, here, I'm going to quick, I'm going to quick hit the Phillies because I just realized I accidentally, I was taking Jason's name off the sheet. I accidentally took the Phillies section out quick. Um, just, uh, it, it was a rough week for the Phillies until they ran into the Cubs coming off that six game stretch out West. Um, they got swept by the Giants, actually. They lost game one, six to three. Uh, Alexander took the win for the Giants. Falter took his seventh loss for the Phillies and was sent down to AAA not too long thereafter, uh, bringing in much, cho- much, much cheer and joy from uh, Jason and Ronnie in the fantasy group chat. And then uh, game two was a four to three loss. Rogers took the win. Wheeler took his third loss of the year. And uh, game three was a seven to four loss. Brebbia took the win and Soto took the loss. Doval got the save at all in all three straight games for the Giants and the Phillies had no answers for him whatsoever. Um, it, so it, rough week for the Phillies until they ran into the Cubs. And actually that, that was just not a great road trip for them. They dropped four out of six on that trip out West. And the only reason that trip wasn't worse is because the first three games were against the um, team that's got the delusional owner that believes his team can win 95 games while playing in the Rocky high city, which uh, has clearly shown to be not the case as pretty much everybody who is laughing at him in the off season, the three of us included also said, so that, you know, that was it for the Phillies this week. You know, I know, like I said, I know, uh, Jason, you know, Jason and Ron were overjoyed to see uh, Bailey Falter get sent down to AAA because he has been utterly ineffective. Like I said, 0-7 record, and I think um, they're like 2-9 and nine in his in games that he started or something insane like that. So it this is a dude who's, who needs to be down. And again, he he wouldn't be up right now if it weren't for some injuries to start the year off. But I'm a little surprised they ran him as long as they did when he was clearly so ineffective as a starter at the major league level at this point. But, hey, I, I don't question the Phillies front office because they do all sorts of uh, strange things, some of which work out very well and some of which blow up in their faces. So what can you say? Um, I do know, I, I, I gotta say this was a nice weekend to just sit in the group chat, uh, sit back, drink beer and eat popcorn and watch the fireworks fly. (laughs) Not going to lie. It was, uh, I was enjoying myself just, you know, being able to sit back, twiddle my thumbs. Oh, would you look at that? Oh, would you look at that? (laughs) Yeah. A tale of, of like two, two different weeks for these guys or two different you know, games for, for the Cubs between Friday and the other two days. It was just terrible. Yeah, just nuts. Yeah. All right, Joe, how about the how, how about this uh, rare trade that the Yankees and the Red Sox just did? Because uh, let's face it, they don't do it often. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. These two, uh, as we would like to say, don't like each other um, for obvious reasons. Um, obviously, they're division rivals, and the Yankees obviously pulled off the the heist of the ages with Babe Ruth in 1919. Uh, teams don't typically do a whole lot with each other uh, trade-wise. Free agent-wise, a lot of a lot of times you see guys go from one to the other, uh, Johnny Damon being the, the prime example in this era. Um, but but typically they don't make trades with each other. Uh, did that this past week. The, the Red Sox uh, got 
a right-handed pitcher, uh, Diego Hernandez, and some cash. Uh, Hernandez made 12 appearances, five of which were starts for the rookie affiliate in 22 and had a 2.1 ERA. So that certainly would help the the, um, the Red Sox in the rotation. Uh, the Yankees get an outfielder, Greg Allen, who's 30 years old with a career slash line of 232, 299, and 336. Um other times that they've made trades in the past, just for reference, is 2021, 97, 94, 86, and then 1972. So, again, clearly these guys do not like each other and do not like helping each other, which I can't say I blame them. Well, you know, they, they bought Babe Ruth for $1,000. $1,000. They bought the uh, they brought the salt in the swat. <laughs> And literally changed the direction of two franchises in the process. Yeah, I, I can't blame the Red Sox for not wanting to engage that much with the Yankees and trades. I, the Red Sox, a couple of those trades actually did work out pretty well for the Red Sox, but it, it, it's going to be probably another hundred years before the Red Sox make enough trades in their favor against the Yankees to come close to to bringing the scales of balance back to even between the two teams. And actually, it may not even be possible to ever do that. All right, so moving on, let's look at the hot list. We skipped it last week because we were in the middle of the week. So, um, Joe, my four hitters I have on the hot list, uh, obviously, number one, no question, all rise for Aaron Judge of the Yankees. This line last week was insane. 444, 459, 1.704, seven runs scored, five homers, 12 RBIs, one stolen base, which is a little unusual after he almost hurt himself stealing a base earlier this year. 12 hits, two doubles, seven walks, nine strikeouts. I also had Adolis Garcia of the Rangers, 365, 417, 1.091, 10 runs scored, five homers, 12 RBIs, eight hits, double, one walk, six strikeouts. Christopher Morrell, how can you not? I the dude is just obliterating baseballs like it's his job. 360, 407, 1.040, 10 runs scored, five home runs, eight RBIs, nine hits, two doubles, two walks, eleven strikeouts. And I also had a Cooney on this week, 375, 444, 917, nine runs, four homers, five RBIs, a stolen base, nine hits, two doubles, three walks, five strikeouts. So, uh, Joe, those are the uh, four top hitters I had over the past week. Um, do you have anybody else you want to add to your t- to your hot hitters list? Yeah, uh, I've got um, Nolan Gorman from the Cardinals. Uh, five runs, 11 hits, a double, four homers, 11 RBIs, and three walks. Pretty good week for him. Yeah, that's a good uh, week. Yeah, that's the only extra hitter I have other than uh, – other than you know the other one I, I provide, but just real quick on on Morel, um, this is this is raising a lot of questions for for Cubs fans. Like why that? Why did he have to start the year in AAA? Like, it, it's feeling a whole lot like KB service manipulation, isn't it? Well, not necessarily, but it just didn't make a ton of sense. It was just like like you're telling me that, and again, I. Nick Madrigal, Madrigal is a serviceable infielder. I think he's good at what he does. But, you know, if you're going to make him the starter at third base, then you got to make him the starter at third base. You can't go between wisdom and him and, and, and not get him the reps that he needs and not get him the plate appearances. You know, if, if you're going to buy 
in on Nick Madrigal. You need to buy in on it and, and go for Brooke and hope it works out. Clearly, we're seeing that Morel was the better of the two choices. Um, you know, I think you easily could have kept Madrigal up and you could have not picked up Edwin Rios. You could have not brought up Master Boney, who hasn't really played a whole whole, whole lot. Um, so, yeah, Morel was raking in AAA and he's raking back up here now. So, you know, the strikeout number, cons- strike number concerns you as a Cub fan, but, you know, you expect that if a guy's hitting the way he is. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's all in on smashing every baseball that comes close to him. So I, you're going to smash them, you're going to strike out some. That's just how it works. Um, it, you know, and one other thing, I'd like to see them keep Madrigal up there because the dude can float anywhere in the infield you need him to and especially help give guys days off. But he's clearly a, a replacement-level player. He's not a full-time starter. And he shouldn't yeah, be a full, yeah, unless you're Oakland, in which case he's an all-star. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely a good pinch hitter. He, he's a great contact hitter. Um, you know, so so he does have a purpose. He does have a role. I, I think they bumbled this off the off the jump by not having Morel up to start the year, mm-hmm. um, and, and having some of those other lower level guys not up. Yeah, I'm glad to see he's up now. I, I hope he keeps tearing it up. He's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. All right, Joe, who is your Moneyball Hitter of the Week? Moneyball Hitter of the Week uh, is Corbin Carroll from the Diamondbacks. Six runs, six hits, one double, two homers, five RBIs, eight walks, five strikeouts, three stolen bases. A slash line for the week of 333, 536, Slugging of 722, an OPS of 1258. Uh, you said eight walks. Eight, eight walks. That wasn't the highest number of walks for the week, by the way. Um, Goldschmidt had 11. Goldschmidt had 11 and scored eight runs, but his strikeout number was higher, and I just I, I couldn't justify it. His batting average was in, was in the 140s. Yeah. I'm like – you walked plenty, but and you scored a ton of runs, but you know you didn't really do anything else. Yeah. So so Corbin Carroll is the money ball hitter of the week for me. All right. Moving into the hot pitchers. For me, I had Mitch Keller of the Pirates 1 0, 138 ERA, 0.54 whip, 13 innings, 21 strikeouts, two earned runs, seven hits, a home run, two quality starts. Tony Gonsolin, who went 2 0 with an ERA of zero, a 0.7 whip, 10 innings, nine strikeouts, zero earned runs, three hits, four walks. And uh, Michael Kopik of the White Sox, 1 0, ERA of zero, a 0.13 whip. Eight innings, ten strikeouts, no earned runs, one hit. That close to no hitter. But yeah, he, he was absolutely dealing. I was watching part of that game. He was just absolutely dealing, and 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 they were going after the high pitches and and all that stuff. He he had his best stuff the other day. That's that's uh, damn. Yeah. All right, Joe. Any other hot pitchers for you? Yeah, I had um, Kodai Senga from the Mets. Um, only had one start this week, but six innings, three hits, one run, three walks, 12 strikeouts. And then Michael Michael Waka from the Padres. Uh, 2-0 and on the week, 13 innings, six hits, no runs, two walks, and 15 strikeouts. 
That's not bad. Of course, Tanga would do that after I drop him because he was getting shelled and walking too many guys. And then he goes for a 12-3 week. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love it. All right, Joe, who is the adulting reliever of the week? The adulting reliever of the week, you're going to like this one. Uh, Rysel Iglesias, uh, two for two in saves, three appearances on the week, uh, three innings pitched, no hits, no runs, and four strikeouts. Uh, best overall numbers of the guys I was looking at. Yeah. Yeah, he, he had a good bounce back week because uh, he, he did get knocked around in the Toronto series, so it was good to see a solid bounce back week from him. All right, so Joe, my uh, hot teams list this week, I've got the Orioles, the Yankees, Rangers, and Astros in the American League. In the National League, I've got the Braves, the Mets, the Cardinals, and the Diamondbacks. Um, anybody else you want to add or anybody you think shouldn't be on the list? No, I don't, I don't have too much of a gripe with this. I do think um, there's something to be said for the White Sox. They, they took two out of three, I think, this weekend. They're trending in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I think they've won three, three or four series in a row now. Um, They're close. I almost put them on, but I'm just uh, show me one more week and I'll put them right back on. This is the first week we didn't have the Rays on there. Yeah, I, I think um, they're, they're cooling off. Obviously, uh, that that leading that division as we speak is three games with Baltimore in second. Um, you know, the White Sox are still seven games back in the division. Uh, obviously, and it's a crappy division, but I think, um, you know, still the fact that they're bouncing back in May a little bit and, and didn't get too freaked out in April is a good thing. Yeah, because that was uh, a very forgetful, forgettable April for the White Sox. Yeah, absolutely. All right, looking at the week coming up, uh, big week for Braves and Phillies um, as they'll have a four-gamer later, but first – uh, tonight, they opened up a three-game set at home with the Dodgers. Uh, tonight is Morton versus Stone. And tomorrow night, we got Strider versus Miller. And then Elder, Bryce Elder versus Tony Gonsolin. I'm really – I'm not often that excited for the uh, middle week game, but that's going to be a really good one. And then the weekend set, uh, Thursday, the Phillies come into town. Atlanta has not announced a starter for that game yet, but they'll, they will be facing Aaron Nola. Um, on Friday, Schuster versus TBD for the Phillies. And then Saturday, Morton versus Wheeler. Sunday will be Strider versus Walker. So you've got some really, really good pitching matchups in this series. Um, I'm actually a little bit surprised that they bumped Wheeler back a game um, to get him wind up to face off against Charlie Morton. But I guess it also makes sense. You know, they're just trying to get their lineup set for what would be most ideal for them. Um, looking ahead at the Cubbies this week, uh, you know, this is a rough one. We were talking about this before we came on. Uh, they've got you guys have the Mets at home uh, for three Smiley versus Sanga, Stroman versus McGill, Tyon versus Carrasco. So you might get one of those, hopefully. And then you got a weekend set with the Reds. TBD versus Hunter Green, maybe the professor. Steele versus Williamson and Smiley versus Ashcraft on Sunday. Um, so, Joe, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Braves Phillies a little more in a second, but it, that, that's a rough start to the week. That's for sure with the Mets. And you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be facing 
you know, really any of their uh, terrible pitchers, it's that's a pretty good set to run up against. And they are pretty hot right now. I believe they're on a five-game winning streak coming into the series, um, including a come-from-behind win yesterday that uh, I believe it was Francisco Lindor walked them off of. So, you know, I know the Cubbies are down right now. Do you th- What are your thoughts with this series coming up? Because I know this might have uh, implications with your bet with your father-in-law. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think the, the again, the, uh, like we mentioned earlier, the Cubs seem to be the, the get, get right team for some teams right now. Um, you know, unfortunately for them, the, the Mets are, are feeling pretty good about themselves the last week, which I don't blame them. Um, you know, I think you're, you're right. We're avoiding the big two, but those two don't scare me really all that much. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what Senga does tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what, how Smiley does. Um, you know, Smiley's pitching tomorrow and then it's, I think it's Stroman and then, or Tyone and then Stroman or something like that. And Stroman and Tyone. Yeah. Why Tyone is still up there. I, I, I really wish they would just figure this out and, and bring up, bring up somebody for a spot start from, from AAA or something because, or, you know, have Adbert start a game once. Yeah. It happens. I mean, yeah. You know, have Adbert start the game against Carrasco and bump Tyone back against the Reds. Yeah. I really just the the Tyone stuff just drives me nuts because they've you know they've lost every game that he's pitched in. Tyone hasn't gotten every loss, but they've lost every game that he's pitched in. And I don't think he's gone past you know he he may have gotten to five innings once this year. Like that's just not going to get it done. It's not. So I, I do think the professor probably makes his comeback on Friday. The fact that they're playing in Wrigley against the Mets is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, against the Reds, obviously, is helpful. And then against the Rays, too. Um, you know, Wrigley itself gives you some advantages once in a while. Um, you know, it's, it's a very forgiving ballpark when the Cubs are home. But I don't think that, you know, I, I would be – you know, to me, if if they don't take two out of three against the Reds, I'm going to be extremely disappointed um, in that result. You know, if they get at least one and and maybe play competitive in another one against the Mets, I'll be okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. The Mets look, the Mets are, are finally clicking and they have a really good offense. So they've got the young kids up who are who are showing that they were you know right to bring them up and. You know the ownership and and Buck is putting his faith in the little guys and they're and they're performing. So, look, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting series and and I'll keep an eye on it. But um, you know, I'm not optimistic with the way they've been playing lately. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe they'll get lucky. And then you know the fact that we're only just now getting to the first showdown of the year between the Braves and the Phillies, and it's almost June before we're getting there. It's Kind of annoying to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm excited for the series. I mean, I'm I'm really excited for the Dodgers series because it, it's a good good measuring stick to put yourself up against. They've been the class of the West for quite a while, and while the Diamondbacks are definitely giving them a good run for their money right now, uh, that that's still their division to lose until until they're knocked off. That's their division. You know, same with the East right now. It's Atlanta's division until somebody knocks them off. 
it's been six years since that's happened. Um, so, I, you know, funny thing, Charlie Morton in the first inning actually struck Freddie Freeman out, and uh, Truist Park went a little wild after that because, you know, Freddie's always going to get a warm reception, and then once he's up to bat and the at bat started, there there goes all the warmth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, the... I, you know, like I said earlier, I'm really excited to see Elder and Gonsolin on Wednesday. That's going to be uh, Elder's pitching out of his freaking mind right now, and so is Gonsolin. So that's going to be a great game if you're not a hitter. <laughs> and then, you know, th- this weekend, except the Phillies, um, I'm, I'm hoping for at least a split since it's a four gamer. I would really like to see Atlanta take three out of four since they're at home and they generally play the Phillies much better at home than they do up at Citizens Bank. But I, I will be very, very content with a split. Um, you know, as we start to, we'll, we'll ease up a little bit. We'll have the athletics out west after that, and then we have to go to Arizona before we come home for the Mets. Phillies are in a tough run right now. You know, after Arizona, who is playing really well right now, um, four with Atlanta, and then three on the road at New York against the Mets, and then three at Washington. So that's where it'll ease up a little bit and then they come home for Detroit and Los Angeles. So, you know, the Phillies, this is kind of a, kind of a make or break stretch for them as they're playing three straight series against interdivision rivals. So they need, you know, they need to, if they want to start making moves, now's the time to start trying to do that. You don't want to try and wait until August and September to make your move you need to start making that move now, especially because by August and September, Atlanta's going to have Kyle Wright and Max Freed back in a fully stocked pitching rotation. You know, this is the time for the Phillies to try and make some moves and get a jump on things. So it's I'm really excited for the series this weekend. Uh, the group chat, I'm assuming, will be nice. and It's either going to be dead because nobody's going to want to say anything or it's going to be lively as hell. So it depends uh, how much beer I drink over the weekend for which way that goes, I think. <laughs> and there might be some, you know, Salem the Cat images floating around. Thanks to your truly. No, would Joe do that just to keep things entertained? Yeah, of course you would. <laughs> hey, I got I gotta keep myself entertained, man, the way things have been going. I get that. I really do. All right. So uh Joe, anything else you're looking at this upcoming week? Not really. I'm I'm I'm, I'm hoping, like I said. Ad nauseum tonight. I'm hoping the Cubs kind of figure some things out this week. Yeah, it's time for them to right the ship and straighten out. All right, everybody, you can find the audio recordings in Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and anywhere else that you can get your podcast from. You can see us live on YouTube, Facebook Live, and on Twitter. Our merchandise is over at redbubble.com. Follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash dollardogsandbeer. On Twitter at ddab underscore podcast. All three of us are also on Twitter. I'm at PyroLord314, Jason's at JRicker300, Joe's at JoltonJoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC, and we are sponsored by Whiskey and Blade Barbershop and Lidditz. Guys, may your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night. Have a good week. We'll see you back next Monday.